Playing with Higher, the HR podcast which works well. Presented by Nick Coffer with Alice Bromwich. Welcome back to Playing with Hire, the HR podcast that works well. Alice Bromwich, owner of HR consultancy Pioneer Magnolia, is alongside me. Recovered from episode one, I think, Alice, you raring to go? Just about, yes. <laughs> so in episode one, we, we took a view from above, um, a look down at all the HR entails. Uh, for anyone starting a business with a, a growing business or indeed anyone who employs people full stop, it was a, a must listen. In this second episode, we're going to be looking at the question of domestic abuse, understanding it, looking at the impact of it, certainly the impact in the workplace and finding ways to support anyone you work with who's going through it as well. Now, Alice, it may surprise some people listening that we're doing this topic as soon as our second episode. Why are we doing it and and why now? Well, it's a good question, Nick. I mean, there's a couple of reasons why. Um, First is that we are in the middle of the 16 days of activism, which is around uh, raising awareness around domestic abuse. Um, it's a UN um, initiative. So timing is key for this. Um, secondly, really, I'm involved. I'm a trustee um, of a domestic abuse helpline. Um, I took that role on just this year. Um, I've been involved in supporting the charity through my business for a couple of years now. Um, but for me, raising awareness is one of the key things um, because it impacts so many people. Um, we spend a lot of time at work and we the messages that we get through work, the support channels that we get through work now, um, I think really there are lots of topics which are being ignored. Um, and I mean that in the nicest of ways because I don't feel businesses either feel that they should be involved in having those conversations or may not know how to have those conversations. And domestic abuse is one of them. Now, you've hinted at this already by, by suggesting you're the trustee of a, a domestic abuse charity. Much of your work in HR is is going to be influenced by by lived experience, surely. It's it's what's called, I believe, humanity is, is the word for it. Are you able to share a little bit of your story in this episode? Yeah, that's fine. And and. Actually, I had to be thoughtful around, do I want to share this story or not? And I do. Um, I was a victim of domestic abuse for 12 years. Um, I would describe myself as somebody that went through a survivor mode, um, really not understanding what <laughs> was going on um, and not being aware, actually, until the police took a statement on the final day um, and said to me, this will be referred to the domestic abuse unit. It wasn't really until that point in time did I even really understand what the situation was. Um, I now describe myself more as a thriver mode. And the reason why is that it is difficult. Post-separation abuse is still very present and will be for many people um it takes two to ten years for a da victim you know post separation to i can't even say fully recover because that's not really the wording for it but the impact is it can still be there um obviously everyone's situation is different but for myself um it felt like the right time this year to become a trustee of the charity because i want to try and support many people and like I say raising the awareness even if it's a sign on the back of the toilet in the in an office you know block that actually says are you aware 
do you know what these are, what this means do you is this happening to you that that might then support one person you suggested there that actually you didn't even realize it was domestic abuse until right at the end that's quite a common uh, element i believe how was it impacting on your work life even at the time you didn't realize that you were a victim of domestic abuse and that's a really good point because um i have during that period of time i worked for three different companies and um how did how was my career in that period of time well actually it it excelled i worked i moved myself away from working as a executive assistant which i loved by the way um to really concentrating on being um hr professional i in that period of time um actually got my masters in that period of time i had two children um in that period of time i went from working part-time bit of hr to being a hr director now there are very few people in my life who knew what was going on. Um, when I closed that door, when I drove 10 minutes down the road, um, I didn't leave it behind, but I focused on what I needed to do. Was there some kind of inverted correlation that the worst it got, the more you threw yourself into your professional life? Yeah, and I guess that's where the survival mode comes in. And this is why I... The terminology around domestic abuse, um, you know, the word victim is that actually I find that difficult sometimes because that implies that you're weak. And I don't think there's a weakness in DA victims. I think there's a weakness in perpetrators. And I think that they are very knowing in their behaviours and what they do. Um, and I think for myself... It was not the, you know, the soapbox DA necessarily that other people would see. What do you mean by that? So, you know, we've all seen the episodes of EastEnders where, (laughs) you know, it's very visual that someone is having physical abuse. Now, ONI um, very recently did the uh, Domestic Abuse Bill um, recognise that coercive control and controlling behaviours, financial abuse um, is abuse. And for myself, that is what I experienced more of than the physical side. However, I still didn't um, recognise that this was something that was actually quite toxic. You mentioned coercive control. Of course, a large part of domestic abuse is around control. An equally large part is around diminishing the other person, almost breaking them. That That is the, the, the term I would use, uh, breaking their confidence, breaking their sense of self. How does that then impact? And the reason I'm asking you these questions, Alice, is because if we're to talk about domestic abuse in the workplace, we need to understand the impact on that person in the workplace. How does that process impact on someone like you who has a job or had a job? You were in roles that required confidence and an outgoing nature and and, and you had to look like you could bend it like Beckham every time you hit that ball. And yet you were in a relationship that was seeking to diminish you and actually potentially destroy you or break you. How do you match those two things up? Um, I think for myself, it was the sheer determination that I knew that one day I would find the courage to be able to leave. And the more controlled I was in every element of my life, uh, financially, how I looked, 
everything um that the bit i could control was my career it doesn't mean that it didn't creep in. And by the way, that's not always the case because often a part of domestic abuse is is stopping that other person from flourishing and thriving and, yeah. and having their own thing. Yes, and I think that's, you know, it, and this is why I say, you know, it's not the same for everybody. Um, for myself, the more successful I became, the more um, it wasn't my success. It was because that other person enabled me to be successful. Did they become jealous? They took the glory. Um, and, you know, there is an element of jealousy. Yes, there is. Um, but look how much I do to support you to do that. If it wasn't for me, you would never be able to have this job when actually that's not true. And not is it not true, but I've been able to prove that's not true by now running my own business and quite successfully managing our household and family and cats and life that goes around it. Looking back uh, in those three roles that you found yourself in, did you get the level of support and understanding that you today want businesses to give their employees? I being honest, there was so there were touch points that I would absolutely say yes. Um, there was one manager who I did open up to, um, and she was very supportive, um, but. And I will say this, were the signposts there, was the support there in the workplace? No, that was from her personal point of view. Um, when the shit hit the fan, eventually, the company I worked for were incredibly supportive. I just disappeared um, for two weeks, and um, but still worked. And my team were incredible. And I think that's for me... Um, I ran a HR team. I set up the foundations of HR in the business and we didn't offer support around domestic abuse. We di we weren't doing it. And it's not because I don't know why we weren't, but we weren't. And that's my point, I so guess. So tell me, why didn't you? Yeah, I guess. Well, maybe because at the time I didn't recognise or understand. I think that might have been it, that, you know, we actually were a very male-orientated business and we focused on men's mental health. We supported well-being. We were incredibly uh, supportive of um, if somebody was injured at work, we had private health care. We paid, you know, longer-term sicknesses. We had a culture that supported people and I suppose if somebody had come to me and said, this is what's happening, I would have supported them as a person and I would have then sought the support that they needed. I guess it's, again, like I say, you know, it's not people, companies are not at fault at not doing this because often it's a reaction to needing to support someone. As the person who was coming out of a domestic abuse situation, and it then became quite common knowledge, as you were saying, you disappeared for two weeks. Did you feel a sense of shame or embarrassment or awkwardness or discomfort that the secret was now out? Did you suddenly feel very exposed? And I asked the question because it's important for employers to understand how it feels for that person when that deeply personal, deeply private part of their life becomes, in effect, public property. Yes, and I I actually don't know how much the team completely understood. I think as things went on, they understood that I went. They understood that I'd left. I don't think they understood completely the reasons behind it. Um, but 
that is one of the barriers, right? You know, if you've got to go somewhere, I was fortunate I had family to turn to. Um, some women and men have to physically leave where they are living and um, area where they are. Now, that means walking away from everything. So yes, how easy is that to go back into a workplace? You can only really do that if you if you know that your workplace is a safe space to be able to do it. And that's where the terminology around shame and feeling vulnerable. I mean, you're probably at the most vulnerable you've ever been, actually. And you absolutely need people around you who support you through that. And we'll come to that safe space in a moment because it's it's clearly very, very important. I would just say you're, you're brave insofar as here you are, you're doing a podcast and part of that podcast is to show that Alice Bromwich of uh, Peony Magnolia is strong, is is brave, is courageous. Um, you know your thing, you're confident. And yet there will be people listening to this potentially who even subconsciously will view you as having been weak to have been in that relationship and stayed in that relationship. There is still a view in society of, well, you know, you make your bed, you lay in it. I'm not going to roll out all the cliches, but you're nodding because you know what I'm talking about here. Is there not a part of you that is concerned about coming out as someone who's lived in an abusive uh, relationship, who's come out of that abusive relationship and what kind of judgments, I will say wrong judgments, but what kind of judgments people may make on you? Absolutely, because actually then it adds in a layer or something. But this is what, you know, this is my point about people. Everybody is complex. Everybody has something, which is why often people don't disclose these or have these conversations. So um, yes, it does make me more vulnerable. Does it make people think, oh my God, I don't know if I want that complexity. Does it make people say, oh, it's not really something you should be talking about. Well, Let's keep that behind those closed your doors. Your manager there that you spoke to was very kind, but there's another manager that was sitting there meeting and go, what on earth am I going to yeah. do with this? Yeah. Again, I suppose I'd put it back to the, the point that I've got to now is that if that person was judging based on someone's experience, that wasn't a choice, then I would question their moral compass versus... And whether they should even be in management at that yeah, point. Yeah, because actually, you know, if you cannot show, and I use this word often, compassion towards others, you cannot be in a situation where you always can say, I completely understand. In fact, I actually find it quite annoying when people say, no, I completely get it. No, you don't. You don't get it, actually. Um, but all you want is for them to hear it. Yes, or to acknowledge it and it f not to have a detrimental effect. And I think you're right. I mean, I am <laughs> was fortunate that I was in an environment where it didn't have an impact on my professional side of life. Um, people respected me possibly more. <laughs> um, but for many, many others oh gosh, you know, now we've got so-and-so and they've got this problem and now, oh, they're going to have family issues or, oh, there's issues with the children. Oh, they're going to want time off. Instantly, you're put into that box of now you're a problem. If you'd like to discuss any of the topics raised in these podcasts, or if you would like to have a confidential conversation with Alice, then send an email to alice at peonyandmagnolia.com where she is always happy to listen, support and advise. Let's bring this back to the, the wider workplace then. In simple terms, does this come down to uh, the wider duty of care, the wider duty to safeguard that employers have 
towards their staff. Yes. And this trickles out into other areas of business. So we talk about duty of care in HR quite often. Um, but I don't think, again, businesses truly understand their obligations to the people they employ. You've got... Um, various different acts that the health and safety side of things that you know everybody hopefully everybody understands health and safety within the workplace well that does extend to this subject so if you have somebody who's come to you and says i have a non-molestation order which effectively would potentially restrict um, the perpetrator from coming to the workplace now if they are comfortable enough to disclose that and to inform then the employer has an obligation to protect them when they're in the workplace is that a legal and statutory obligation well or moral both because this is so if so if you're a lone worker and you are a care assistant and you have the same route all the time and someone has come to you to say, this is my situation and this is what it is. What are you going to do to protect that loan worker? Because yes, yes, you've got loan working policies. Yes, you've got, um, you've possibly trained, you've, you know, they've got all of that side of things under health and safety, but now you've got an extra layer. So what are you going to do to prevent that person being stalked when they're on their caring rounds. How are you going to protect that person when they leave the office door to walk to the car park when that person knows your timings, they know where you are? So how are you going to protect your employees? Um, and this is where the conversation needs to, around domestic abuse, needs to be brought into your existing policies and practices. So you have a choice. Do you want to be reactive to a situation where someone has potentially been harmed within the workplace because of a perpetrator stalking them? Or do you want to be proactive and be in a situation where you put tools into place, you give um, safeguarding, you actually have those conversations with the employee that's being impacted and support them. So this is starting to make sense now, Alice, because what you're saying is, of course, that domestic abuse doesn't just happen at home. The workplace can, in effect, be a target location, especially if, to go full circle, the workplace is actually home. Yes. And the workplace for many is an area of respite. So, you know, when you've got those people who are saying, I'd like to return to the office, please, to do three days a week. Um, I would like to be able to work at home two days. There was a huge issue when everything was back at home because things can be monitored more. Um, it it was it became very complex that when you are working at home and you're in the environment the whole time then you've got no especially in the lockdown you had nowhere to go um, and that's when I saw a bit of a step change in society where people started, I don't know if you've seen that lots of chemists, lots of banks have become safe places so if you feel that you're going about and you really need support you can go into these environments now on the high street i mean this is this is a huge improvement to where we were um so yes the this is again where it goes back to if somebody comes to you with a flexible working request and you're not really sure what's behind it this is not around saying no this is around asking the right questions um now 
I'm not expecting managers to know how to deal with these conversations. Um, why would you? Why would you? Why would you know how to respond correctly or without causing offence? Um, but that's why I feel that people need to um, train their managers. And that leads us on to this because it's all very well saying you're not expecting managers to know how to deal with this. You are an HR consultant, Alice. That's what you do. You go into businesses and make sure that they do things right for their people. So how can HR as a sector and how can you as an individual, maybe the same months, maybe different, how can you and how can HR influence change in the workplace because i suspect lots of people listening to this right now have not even considered domestic abuse as something they they need to put into their hr toolkit yeah and thanks for reminding me nick of <laughs> what i do because it's important because yes i can get passionate about something and that is why it's something that i try and offer to clients because yes i've like i've shared my experience but it's not just about that it's around um for me saying think about how you support what you do etc cetera, etc cetera. how you do that is maybe following the steps of vodafone for example who provided um 10 paid days so if you disclose that you are going and and actually amazing because you might need a day to manage something in court. You might need something that actually, God, you need a day off because you've got an awful lot of other stuff that you're needing to manage post-separation. Once you're in, still in potentially a relationship, one of the worries is if you're calling in sick all the time, then obviously then you're potentially being managed under sickness absence. So it's for managers or businesses to really truly understand what the impact could be. So for that manager listening now, what are the key things they need to do? If you're a manager and you do not have the support in the workplace, I would suggest going to someone that you feel will be able to influence this conversation for you. Now, I've seen examples where leaders have been vocal. They've supported this conversation. They've People are able to have a voice around it. Um, and this is where managers need training. And not just managers, this is where companies need training. And is that from an HR professional like yourself? Yes, you can. So yes. So as a HR professional, I can come in. I have experience and have been trained to come in to businesses to talk about this conversation. Because where do you start? I'm not a DA expert. I'm not a, I'm not trained um, on a, the DA side. However, well, you are an HR expert with DA experience. Yes. That's pretty precious. And I'm a trustee of a DA charity. And I, I'm working with um, the Decorum Dragons Apprentice Scheme to go into um, schools and talk to, um, I think, year 11, 12 children. And we are raising money and awareness over six months um, for the charity. So, I'm able to start these conversations and that's often the thing. How do you start the conversation? Well, that's where you can bring me bring in. Bring you in. And also, how do you create, it's all very well talking about a safe space, but how do you create that? Again, for, for that manager listening now who wants to create a safe working environment, what do they need to do? Honestly, I think it's a case of just listening. So if somebody comes to you, let's not just have the knee-jerk reaction to think I just need to call HR here because if that person has been bold enough feels comfortable enough to talk to you 
this is when all your management skills, people management skills should come in. This is when you should recognize the situation. This is where you should respond accordingly and actually you should refer because that's ultimately it you are not a professional DA expert in the same way as you are not a professional HR you know you seek support and advice from others but as a manager you need to understand that you have an obligation to look after your team I once sat in the meeting uh, with a senior manager at a a company where I used to work and um, I was upbraided for having brought my personal life into my work communications. Long story short, I had written about issues at home in an email around uh, explaining some issues at work. And uh, that manager said to me very clearly, um, we won't tolerate this further, did a quite an aggressive gesture with his right hand. Um, and if you continue to do it, we will take action. I don't think I'm alone in being an employee who suspects that that's the reaction you're likely to get. And actually, how sad that somebody isn't able to say, gosh, okay, I recognise that there's lots of levels of why we are in the situation we are. You know, probably at that point, if you've offered that information, recognition is possibly all you needed. Could that uh, manager be thinking that I was talking rubbish? So yes, I guess that is an issue where you might think that someone's crying wolf. However, how do they know that? Is it worth taking the risk? And actually, at that point, like I say, having just recognising that you've come to them with that, and potentially that's having or a part of the wider grievance potentially that's going on, um, should be recognised rather than ignored. And I think this is also where the situation around and we'll talk about it in a future episode around well-being is if you ignore these small points of of somebody reaching out saying i need support this is going to cause a big issue this is going to cause a big issue for you as an employer i spot a flaw in your plan alice <laughs> okay so so imagine that obviously you're an advocate of um, of making sure that well-being budgets are, are spent on this kind of thing ensuring that uh, support channels have have the right level of investment perhaps have awareness days where people are made aware of the issues around domestic abuse um the flaw in the plan is what if the people creating those policies i.e the managers in many businesses are pretty toxic themselves. So if you're going to do an information day around toxic abuse or around narcissistic abuse or whatever it may be, and you're doing it in a room full of really unpleasant managers who may well have reached that point in that business because they are of a particular personality type. I accept I am broad brushing this, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. So you could be talking to an audience who actually are quite hostile. Yeah. And then it's lip service. Um, and we've seen that over and over again. So actually, it really doesn't matter what policies you put in place. If somebody's not going to live and breathe <laughs> the culture, if they're going to go and be a maverick and do whatever they, they want. If we go back to the fact that one in four women and one in six men are impacted by domestic abuse in their lifetime, the likelihood is in that room of managers, there is also a perpetrator. And Statistically. Yeah. So how do you, there will be people who will be recognising that the behaviour that we're highlighting could actually be (laughs) the manager they're stood next to, you know. So is this something that can help roll out 
highlight other toxic behaviors? Yes. Which is why I want to talk to young people around it because it's also about having healthy relationships. Um, and those healthy relationships can be within the workplace. When we come up against, you know, why do we have bullying and conduct policies? Because that happens in the workplace. Why do we have grievances against managers? Because of some toxic behavior. A very complex, a very emotive issue. But having heard you talk about it and talk about it very articulately at that, it actually comes down to quite a simple uh, process from what I can hear. If someone comes to you, acknowledge what they're saying or recognise what they're saying, give them an answer, respond to it and then refer it onwards. At very least, don't leave them hanging and then ensure, if possible, that they're not discriminated against for having come to you with that uh, explanation, that that story behind what's going on at home. Is that a fair summary? Um, yes, it is. And let's just be clear that this conversation is possibly going to be repeated because it takes, um, well, 70% of victims of domestic abuse, probably two to three times a year, will try and seek help. That may be in the workplace, it may be through things like the domestic abuse helpline. What I will say is that when that person is able to safely leave that relationship, they will do. Um, and that is when a different level of support is required. Um, if they don't leave and they're coming back to you with similar conversations, that equally is where you cannot be judgmental of the fact of, well, why don't you just leave? Because this is where we talk about understanding, having a holistic approach to managing people. Um, your point being that actually if you brought into the conversation something that's impacting you in your personal life, you've done that for a reason. The other conversations we're having in this series, uh, it feels to me, are based on years of HR experience. This one seems to me to be a much more recent conversation. And with you coming out as you have today, talk, talking about your own experience, is a big part of this really around raising awareness, if, if nothing else? Yes, it is about raising awareness. I... Since the pandemic, the increase of domestic abuse worldwide has increased by 20%. Um, I don't think that people can just ignore that this is happening anymore. Um, I, A couple of years ago, when I first set up my consultancy, I asked an employment law, law firm if they would support me in writing a policy that I could take into the workplace around domestic abuse. Their response at the time was, I don't really think this is an employment issue. Um which was a concern to me, which is why I sought out um, places that could help, which is why I've become a member um, of um, EIDA, so EIDA, um, and there are many employers and members there. And exactly this- What does EIDA stand for? Uh, it's the Employers Initiative on Domestic Abuse. So there are some very high profile uh, speakers um, part of that membership group and we talk about lots of different areas of support so we talk about you know um, men um, being subjected to, to domestic abuse we talk around different races lgbt we talk around perpetrator support you know there's a lot of support within that group in simple terms if this statistically is happening to 20 or 25 percent of adults it is happening to 20 to 25 percent of your business yes Absolutely. And if you have a very female orientated business, then I would suggest that this has a larger impact 
simply because of the fact that domestic abuse relationships can be repeated. Um, and I mean that in the sense that when somebody comes out of a relationship, when they go into a new one, their understanding of what a relationship is, is skewed. So it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of um, potentially healing work, um, therapy for people to really understand what this means and the impact it's had on them. Um, so yes, you will potentially see repeated um, partnerships. One of the themes of HR, Alice, is the worst case scenario. What happens if you don't protect your employees? What happens if you do uh, receive a grievance? What happens if you are found at a tribunal to have constructively dismissed someone? What is the worst case scenario? In terms of why this is an important matter for employers, what is the worst case scenario in either missing or not taking seriously an employee coming to you talking about domestic abuse? Well, the worst case scenario is that that person becomes a victim of domestic abuse. They become a stat. And I mean that- So just so I understand, you mean that person is killed? Yes, by their perpetrator. And if that person has come to you and disclosed, asked for support, and that happens potentially related somewhere to do the workplace, could you be liable for the Manslaughter Act in the same way as you would be under health and safety. You have to protect your people if they're working on a building site with the correct health and safety. If somebody falls off scaffolding, there's an investigation. If somebody is attacked and killed as they're walking through a car park which is owned by your workplace, are you still liable? That's probably not probably, that is the worst case situation, other than the fact that somebody has been, you know, death in service is an incredibly difficult situation to deal with. I've managed those before, um, not related to DA, but it has a huge impact on the workforce. So, you know, without having to sound morbid around it, there is a real responsibility that this is managed on a risk register in the same way as you would manage other risk. It's a really salutary point to end this on. As with all of the work you do, it's all about managing the risk. How bad can it get and how important is it uh, to look after your, your employees? Uh, Alice, I think when it comes to affecting change, um, the key driver of that is is personal experience. You've, you've shown today your personal experience. This is a subject that really, really matters to you, isn't it? It really does matter to me and I could have not used my voice in this way. I could have um, carried on doing maybe a few things in the background, but I have chosen not to take that path. I've chosen to talk about it. Uh, having not spoken about it for many years, um, I feel that's the right way to do it. It was brave to do it and I really appreciate you doing so today. Uh, Alice, anyone who wants to find you in your day job when you're not uh, busy recording podcasts, where can they do so? Uh, well, they can find me on my website, uh, peonymagnolia.com. Is that peony and magnolia? It is. Yeah. Peony and magnolia. Um, they can drop me an email, um, alice at peonyandmagnolia.com. Um, or find me on LinkedIn because I often post um, 
information, not just on obviously domestic abuse, but lots of other information as well around HR um, and some sort of thought leadership stuff as well. Don't forget wherever you're listening to this podcast to click on follow and you'll be notified of all future episodes of uh, the Playing With Hire uh, podcast. In our next one, Alice, we're going to be talking about life events, the, the fact that stuff happens. And it's fair to say, isn't it, that life events really do impact, well, the workplace, people working there, and, and we can underestimate their impact and indeed miss uh, the impact, miss the importance of, of what's happened. Yes, we absolutely can. And, you know, your biggest investment is employing people. So why are you not looking after them? That's it for episode two of uh, Playing With Hire, episode three coming up, as we've just said. But for now, it's goodbye. Thank you, Nick. Goodbye. Goodbye.